Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Autism with a Pinch of Salt. My name is Hayley and I'm going to be hosting these podcasts. For our first episode we are going to be looking at what is autism. But first of all I'd like to just give a little introduction about what the podcast is, what it's going to cover and just a little bit about myself as well. So the podcast will cover all things autism. But I'm also hoping to discuss other neurodevelopmental conditions, neurodiversity and some other speech and language therapy topics such as intellectual disability and trauma. I'm hoping to have a guest on for every episode. The kind of guest that we'll have will be neurodiverse individuals themselves, parents of autistic children and professionals as well. So who am I? My name's Hayley and I'm a final year speech and language therapy student. I've worked different capacities with autistic individuals and their families since 2012 and I'm the parent of an autistic child myself. I also run the Facebook page Autism with a Pinch of Salt. So let's get started then. I thought for the first episode that it would be good to cover what autism is. I'm not going to go into too much depth about what it's like to live as an autistic person in a neurotypical world as I'm hoping that throughout the podcast that we'll be able to speak to autistic individuals themselves to get a clearer understanding of that. But I will cover what autism is by definition. So there's two trains of thought at the moment as to what autism is or what it's perceived as. And that is going by the medical model and going by the social model. So the medical model looks at the person through a medical lens and looking at impairments not really taking the environment of the person into account. The social model looks at the person as being disabled by their environment rather than their condition. So by definition, autism is a neurodevelopmental condition categorised by a dyad of impairments. This used to be a triad of impairments, but a few years back when they brought out the new DSM-5, they changed it to a dyad. These impairments are described as restrictive, repetitive behaviours and interests and difficulties with social communication and interaction. Social communication and interaction actually used to be seen as two separate things but were then merged together, making the triad a dyad. Now, what is meant by restrictive, repetitive behaviours and interests, otherwise known as RRBIs? This looks at routine, flexibility of change, special interests of maybe one or two particular things. For example, a real interest in history or war, um, anything at all. Or even maybe as children having a real strong interest in dinosaurs or trains and the, the child might only play with the train in one particular way or being able to tell you absolutely everything that you could possibly imagine about a steam train or about, as I said before, histories or or world wars. It's a real keen interest. Um, Often for girls, their special interests are something not very unusual. It's maybe something that you would expect a, a, a little girl to be interested in. So this might not raise any concerns for the parents at first. Social communication and interaction covers how the person communicates and interacts with others. Now, this is important to differentiate between because it's not how well they can speak, but it's how well they can communicate with 
other people. So looking at turn taking, eye contact, appropriateness of conversation, how the conversation flows, an ability to understand higher order language. So things like idioms and non-literal language. I just want to add in a caveat here before I go into looking at autism through a social lens. That all these things in the medical model is looking at how an autistic person communicates and interacts from a neurotypical standpoint and by neurotypical standards. Autistic researcher Damien Milton came up with something called the, the double empathy theory, which hypothesizes that autistics interact better with other autistics and same for neurotypicals. So in fact, this isn't that autistics can't communicate appropriately, but it's a two-way street in which neurotypicals can't communicate efficiently enough with autistics and vice versa. There was actually a study done in Edinburgh University which looked at this and it rang true for the participants of this study. And you can look it up online. The study is called Autistic Peer-to-Peer Information Transfer is Highly Effective. And it's Crompton et al. 2020. Also, importantly, autism is also differentiated by sensory differences by all eight different senses. There are three that people don't commonly know about. So these eight are sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch and proprioception, vestibular and interoception. Proprioception is being able to know where your body is in time and space. Vestibular is our movement, gravity and balance. And interoception, which is actually only recently getting really looked at, but it's very important. It's the ability to feel things internally. So, for example, feeling hungry and needing the toilet. Someone who is autistic may have hyper or hyposensitive senses. But it's also important to note that this can change from day to day. One day someone might have hyposensitive um, feelings to touch and the next day they're hypersensitive. But the main thing to note is that it is a difference from what is perceived to be from the norm. Next, I want to look at autism through the social model lens. And this is what most autistic adults are really pushing for at the moment, for it to be perceived through this lens rather than a deficits model. So the social model looks at the barriers that our society puts in the way of autistic people. So their participation, including both attitudes and practical barriers. It aims to remove unnecessary barriers which prevent autistic people accessing work and services and living independently. The social model identifies the problems faced by autistic people as a consequence of external factors. So, for example, bright lighting in a workplace might cause distress for an autistic person who has a sensitivity to light or really, really loud, noisy background noise in a workplace might cause distress to somebody who's autistic that has a sensitivity to noise. So the social model likes to distinguish between impairment and disability. So from a social model lens, impairment is described as a characteristic or long-term trait. So an example of this for somebody who's autistic, it may be having a difficulty with executive functioning. Now disability through a social model lens is looked at by the difficulty experienced by people with an impairment by society, not taking enough measures to take account of what their needs are. So for example, so for somebody that has a physical disability, 
from a social model lens, you could say this person can't use the stairs and wants to get a step or a ramp at the entrance. The social model recognises that this is a problem with the building and not and not the person. Turning that around for an autistic person, it could be that the employer recognises that the workplace lights are too bright and dims them or provides earplugs if it's a too noisy or busy environment for the individual. It's recognising that it's an issue with the environment and not the person. Now there's a psychologist called Matt Lowry who has created a strengths-based autism diagnostic criteria which is looking at everything that the DSM-5 has for diagnosing autism and just changing it into strengths-based criteria rather than deficits-based. And I'll just run through these just now. For repetitive behaviours or interests, it's explained as stimming or engaging in echolalia. Security and routines. Autistic people do not have a sensory filter, so the world is perceived as a constant state of chaos. Routines and expectations give comfort to overwhelmed autistic people. Then spins, which are special interests. Due to hyperconnected brains, autistic people feel more passionately about what we love. So when we have a special interest, we tend to fawn over and fixate on it. Hyper or hypo activity to stimuli. Again, due to hyperconnections, we feel things more intensely. Sometimes, however, we feel things less intensely because we tune them out in favour of other stimuli. We are born with this, these traits but learn how to mask them. Sometimes they only show up when we're stressed out and let our guards down. And also different social communication and interaction. So differences in communication is a tendency to go off on tangents, tendency to talk passionately about special interests and tendency to not engage in small talk. Differences in non-verbal communication, including stimming while talking, looking at something else while talking and being bored with conversations. Due to the above differences in communication, autistic people tend to be shunned by neurotypicals and therefore are conditioned to believe that we are somehow less social. And these traits cause other people distress. Note the DSM only indicates impairment when it affects other people or jobs, but not when it is a daily issue that we learn to live with. And it is not due to an intellectual disability. So that's Matt Lowry's strengths-based diagnostic criteria. He is an autistic psychologist and he wrote that. Just to give people another sort of way of of looking at autism, as I say, the autistic community are really quite against this impairment-based model. And moving on from that, the researcher Wen Lodson recently published a study. It was actually in April of this year looking at diagnosing autism through the WHO's ICF model. This is actually something that's used often in speech and language therapy when working with patients and it looks at the whole picture. So it looks at the condition, then it breaks it down into impairment limitations and restrictions and how the environmental factors and personal factors affect these things. I really like the ICF model. For example, a person with aphasia, which is a language disorder caused usually by stroke or brain injury. If we use the ICF model, This will see aphasia as the condition and the impairment is language difficulties which is caused by the aphasia. Um, The person might not be able to keep up with conversation and that's the limitation. So they stop going out for family meals and this would come under the participation bracket. So the environmental factors could be that 
it's too loud when they're out for meals so it makes it difficult for them to gather their thoughts or people might not wait for them to finish their sentence and talk over them. And then the personal factors could be that the person is extremely motivated to be able to go out for family meals. Again, they are patient and love spending time with their family and they have a good support system at home. So you can see from that example that it really takes a whole picture into account. And I really recommend having a wee look at that paper that's that looks at using this model. The paper is called Reconciling the Seemingly Irreconcilable. The Who's ICF system integrates biological and psychosocial environmental determinants of autism and ADHD. The international classification of functioning allows to model opposed biomedical and neurodiverse views of autism and ADHD within one framework. So that's Bolt et al. 2021 and when Lawson was involved in that paper as well. So that's us just about finished for our first podcast. I'll just go over quickly everything that we've discussed today just very briefly. So we've spoke about autism from a medical model and a social model and also looked at that strengths-based diagnostic criteria as well. Um, the The medical model looks at autism through a medical lens, so looking at it very much from an impairments based view. And the social model looks at the the person as being disabled by their environment rather than their condition. When we spoke about the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria, we spoke about repetitive and restrictive behaviours and interests. That covers our things like playing with toys in a repetitive way or repetitive motor movements, which could also be known as uh, stimming. And it also covers things like echolalia, so repeating things that the individuals heard um, in a repetitive manner but also the rigidity and routines of, of day-to-day tasks as well. Um, also we had difficulties with social communication and interaction so that looks at how the individual interacts and communicates socially with others so this isn't talking about how the person's speech is, this is how they interact socially with others, things like eye contact, how the conversation flows, reciprocity of conversation as well, and then understanding the use of higher order language. And then when looking at it from the social lens, we looked at these things slightly differently, where somebody might have a sensitivity to light, it would then be saying, okay, this is then society's job to dim the lights when somebody's finding that difficult. It's just a very brief and basic example of that, though. Um, It's worth mentioning as well that the majority of the neurodiverse community much, much prefer the social model, but not everyone does. Remember, we're speaking about individuals here, so they're, with it being a spectrum, there are a spectrum of opinions as well. And it's important that we respect all opinions. We also looked at the strengths-based diagnostic criteria from Mark Lowry and you can actually google that and, and have a look yourself, it's quite interesting. So that takes us to the end of our first episode, just nice, short and sweet for the first one. 
I'm really looking forward to the next couple that we've got organised. I've got some really exciting guests that are going to come on and, and have a chat. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping to release a podcast at least once a month, but up to two times a month. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great day. Please feel free to check out my Facebook page, Autism with a Pinch of Salt.